Let's look at Acts chapter 1, and for context, we'll begin in verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he threw the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then these are our verses for this morning. And being assembled together with him, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know, not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We're so grateful that it doesn't change. We're so grateful that it's always what we need it to be and more every day. Whether we look at it or not, but we know, Lord, you're working in our lives for us to depend upon your word more and more every day. And we want to be made more like the Lord Jesus. We know that you have that in mind for each one of us here. We're grateful, Lord, that you are moving in our midst. We're grateful, Lord, that you are leading us closer to you. We're grateful, Father, that you have melted our hearts, Lord, and you've drawn us to yourself. And the more we get to know you, the more we want to know you more. Father, you are amazing. And we recognize that. And we want your word to make us more like the Lord Jesus this morning by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that he is so good at making application of the verses to our lives and encouraging us, redirecting us, exhorting us, all the things that he does so well. We yield our hearts to you now. Speak to us whatever you want to speak to us about, Lord. We yield our hearts. We want to be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. So we, we, we listen, Lord, and we, we're sitting at your feet now. Speak to your servants. When we commit this time to you, we pray you'd set it aside for your holy use. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Today we're going to be discussing the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And it is and can be, at times, a very controversial subject within the body of Christ. And usually there are two major positions that churches take related to the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know what those positions are. And I want you to know what our position is. Because ours is the right... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Couldn't resist. But, you know, every church believes that their position is biblical, of course. The churches that have other positions, we believe they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have unity with them. They're part of the body. We need to remind ourselves just as we start to... Uh, deal with a controversial subject that we have to be very careful about insulting the rest of the body of Christ. And I exhort myself. Because we're insulting someone else's bride, if you think about it. And we are a dysfunctional group, aren't we? There is plenty to criticize, 
But it's still someone's bride. And God still loves his church. He loves the whole body of Christ. And we need to look at the diversity within the body of Christ and appreciate that diversity. Still being thankful for what we believe and so forth and all of that. But um, it's important for us to recognize that controversy is an is a opportunity for us to get in our flesh and to have pride in our hearts and think that we're better than other people and we're not. But it is incumbent upon us, and, and we are called to test what everybody says, including what comes out of our own mouths, uh, by the scriptures. And, and that's the final kind of court of arbitration or the final test that we should hold to, and that's what we aim to do here. So the two major positions is that the baptism with the Holy Spirit occurs, the first one, it occurs at salvation, it's synonymous with being saved, and we get all the Holy Spirit we're ever going to get at the moment of salvation. They believe that being baptized into Christ, being brought into the body of Christ positionally by being born again is synonymous with being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's, and that's probably more a position that's more uh, uh, prevalent or popular or prolific in the church today. The second one is that There is a baptism with the Holy Spirit, and it does happen subsequent to salvation most of the time, but the initial evidence of that is that you will speak in tongues. I used to hold to that view. I do not hold that view anymore, and I mainly don't hold that view because of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 29 and 30, which Paul, by the Spirit, asked these rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The obvious answer is no. That's the obvious answer there. And so our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, whom I love very much and have very close relationships with, and and was saved in a a Pentecostal church, I don't agree with them. But it's nothing that we would divide over. But I don't believe there's strong biblical support for that. So we would define, in the Calvary Chapel movement, we would, most of us would define the baptism with the Holy Spirit as the empowering of the Spirit to be a witness to Jesus, which can happen at the moment of salvation, but more commonly occurs subsequent to salvation, just like it did for many in the book of Acts, notwithstanding the original disciples, because they, Jesus told them to wait. So I believe that a clear understanding is needed because it's so important to God that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, the church is desperately in need of empowering and leading in the Holy Spirit. There's so many crafty, uh, creative, fancy pants. Okay, that's, a, that's the, from the Pat uh, International version there. Uh, fancy pants things where we're, we're, we're the sum total or the aggregate of all our creativity and we do all these systems and all these things and everything kind of runs on autopilot, but none of it is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't have the freedom to change things up, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago. We can't be explained. The book of Acts is not something you read and go, wow, look at their five-year plan. Look at their 10-year plan. Look at how they just organized this and pre-planned it and the whole thing and they had this, they read all the best books and got, okay, they didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of books on that then. Where they got on the best blogs, okay, wait, there's no blog. Oh, they got social media, no, they didn't have that either. Wait a minute, they didn't have airplanes, they didn't have cars, they didn't have uh, Federal Express, they didn't have um, Facebook, they didn't have marketing, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have any of these things, but yet they turned the world upside down. 
And, and I believe it was very strategic that, that God chose to have that generation or Jesus come to that time period in the fullness of time, we're told in Galatians, to come and preach the gospel and proclaim himself to be the Messiah, die, resurrect from the dead, and, and, and birth the church. Because that way no one could say that it was all because of these things. They would say, we'd have to be, say or we'd be forced to say, wow. Look what, look what the dependence upon the, and the empowering on the, upon the Holy Spirit or the powering of the Holy Spirit, that, look what it did. So that they are not at any disadvantage. We can't say that they're at a disadvantage from us, for sure. We're always trying to go back to what they did. A.W. Tozer once said this. He said, if the Holy Spirit were to withdraw himself from the church today, 95% of what we do would continue and nobody would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit were to withdraw himself from the early church, 95% of what they were doing would come to a screeching halt and everyone would know the difference. Wow, that's a, that's, is that true? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if anyone could quantify 95%. That's a lot. But it's, there's sure way more than there should be. And, and what's, the, what's the key? The key is the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. When you hear pastors talk, and I've been in many different prayer meetings and city meetings and so forth it gets it's less and less where someone will just say the holy spirit led us to do this so often it's well you know this seemed right this seemed like um you know the demographics were correct and whatever it is and and we just made these decisions based on all the marketing information that we had and all these things and i know there's a place for some of that but the look at the early church they were so dependent upon the holy spirit they had no other options God made sure of that. And so that's what we need to have is the leading and power of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to dig a little bit into what this is and the biblical support for it. And I have no, I don't give any apology for saying that what our position is a biblical position. I know every church does that or whatever, but I want you to look because some of you may be from different backgrounds. I know that you are from different backgrounds. You may be from that background where they never talked about the baptism of the Spirit. That happened at salvation. Some of you are clearly from the background of the Pentecostal side of things. And people are turned off by the gift of tongues. You, you, you've had a bad experience related to that. So you don't want anything to do with that. I understand. But there is another position. And it can be, uh, have, it can be presented in a balanced way to where it's... Still, you're empowered by the Spirit, but yet, um, you know, you're, you're not getting involved in a lot of error. So I first want us to look in verses 4 and 5 that the Lord Jesus tells them to not leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. He says in verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've gone over these scriptures that, that he references there in verse 4, which you have heard from me. We've read those verses, and, and I just want to read them again briefly. Jesus said in John 14, verses 16 through 18, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor, nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. We saw there, and we mentioned the last two weeks, just because some of you were gone the first week, that when he says another helper there, he's saying another of the same kind. And the word helper there means someone that comes along to help. 
So he's promised that. That's what he's referring to in our verses in Acts chapter 1. But he didn't stop there. In John chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, he said, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. He says in verse 7 there, it's to your advantage. You're at an advantage that I'm going away and I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 6, we see that in our text here this morning, that the disciples have a question for Jesus related to the restoration of Israel. They said, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They couldn't help themselves. They wanted so badly to be out of Roman bondage. They were oppressed by the Roman government. And they wanted, they believed all the, the messianic scriptures in the Old Testament related to the kingdom age and, and, and God having a king on David's throne forever and all of that. They, they thought that that was going to happen right then. They were focused so much on the, the, the prophecies related to him ruling the world because they wanted a political deliverer. But that wasn't God's purpose. That wasn't what mankind's greatest need was at the time. Mankind's greatest need was to have a savior to save them from their sins. And so because of these scriptures, there were the suffering servant scriptures. In fact, today is Palm Sunday, and Daniel prophesied about Palm Sunday, and he said that that when all of these prophecies are fulfilled, the Messiah will be cut off. And when you look at that prophecy, you see that it was to the very day that he would be presented by riding on the donkey and coming in and being presented as the Messiah and so forth on Palm Sunday and so forth. That was to prophesy to the very day. There was, no, <laughs> there was no way that that could be messed up because God was going to fulfill it. But that, when they looked at the, the, the prophecies related to his second coming and his first coming, they got confused, a lot of them. Some, sometimes they believed that there were two messiahs, that one was going to fulfill the suffering servant ones and another messiah was going to fulfill the one where he rules and reigns on this, on this earth. So, but that wasn't the case. It's not two messiahs. He's just coming back at two different times to fulfill them. And they didn't understand that. So he said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, verse 7. So they weren't to know those things. But he said in verse 8, but you shall receive power. Notice the word power. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus knew that those disciples needed power. They had over three years of being with the Lord Jesus, getting instruction and getting education. They, didn't, they knew what to do. They knew what to say. He also gave them ministry experience. He would send them out, and they would go out, and they would get experience, and they would minister and proclaim the kingdom of God, and he gave them authority to heal and to cast out demons and all these things. So they had education. They had ministry experience. They knew what to do, but he still told them to wait because they needed something more. They needed power. Power for what? Self-promotion? Power to draw people to themselves? Absolutely not. They needed power to be witnesses, notice, to him. Saying, I've seen him. I recognize that he rose from the dead and I am witnessing to the fact, I am a witness. No, the word martyr means witness. We use it as you died for your faith. But the reason why they died for their faith is because they were witnesses. 
And they are witnesses when they die today. They're witnesses to Christ, and thus they, they die at times. And God may call us to that. But he called them to be witnesses to him. And so he empowers us to be selfless. He empowers us to point to Jesus. He empowers us to live the supernatural life that no one else can explain. He empowers us to make a difference in this world. No, it's not tongues that's the initial evidence of being baptized with the Spirit. It's power. Jesus said that you will receive the gift of tongues when the Spirit comes. No, he doesn't say that. He says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's what it's for, for power. So that's what we need to see. And there are three different potential relationships that one can have with the Holy Spirit. And I want to focus on those this morning. And there are three different prepositions. The preposition with the preposition in, and the preposition upon. And it's solid. It's a solid case. There's no wiggle room. It's consistent. You look at these three prepositions, it explains our potential relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I want to focus on the first one, and I want to read to you John chapter 14, verse 17 again. You can turn there if you want, but I'm just going to read it quickly. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, let's just get this right down to what Jesus is saying to them. He's introducing them to this, the, the spirit of truth that he's going to give them. And he's saying right now, he's with you. Right now, currently, at this moment, right now, the Holy Spirit is with you. And that's true for this world that doesn't know Christ. And he talks about it, and we read these verses a couple weeks ago, that the Spirit convicts the world of sin as it relates to righteousness and judgment and so forth. The Holy Spirit's ministry in this world related to unbelievers is to convict them of their sin, which, makes, which means an airtight case. So between them and him, he supernaturally gives them the, the understanding that they are guilty and there's no wiggle room, there's no way to get out of it. It's an airtight case and shows them their guilt. But also, he reveals Jesus to them. He testifies of Jesus. He points them to him and says, this is the one. It's like the Spirit kind of does the ministry of John the Baptist, or I should say vice versa. John the Baptist did the ministry of the Spirit, where he's pointing people to Jesus, saying, I must decrease and he must increase, right? And that's what we're called to do as believers, is to bring people to Jesus. So our ministry is in lockstep and in perfect unity with the Spirit's ministry. We're supposed to testify to Jesus to people. And we're supposed to speak the truth to them so the Spirit takes what we say, the Word of God, and takes that and convicts them of their sin. So we're working in total uh, partnership with the Spirit. That's why we need to say the exact Word of God to people. That's why Peter said, if any man speaks, let him speak the oracles of God, the very words of God. The more we speak the exact word of God, the more the Spirit has to convict people and to show them their guilt. So he's saying to the disciples, you already know the Spirit. He hasn't been given to you in the, in the way that he's going to be given to you, but you know of him. He is with you right now. But notice he says, or let me just tell you at the end of this verse, it says, and will be in you. So right now, the first two prepositions are, are being introduced to them. He's with you, and he soon will be in you. And so he plainly just tells them that. He will be in you. 
When did that happen for the disciples? Turn with me. Hold your place in in Acts 1. Turn with me to John chapter 20. I want you to see for yourself, because there's controversy related to this. Because our brothers and sisters that believe that you get all of the Holy Spirit when you receive Christ... They believe that the disciples were regenerated or received the Spirit or the in experience that I'm talking about in Acts chapter 2. But I don't believe that's correct. I believe that they had, we were indwelt by the Spirit. They had that in experience as we do when we receive Christ in John chapter 20. Look at verses 20 through 22. It says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And this is, verse, this is important right here, verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now our brothers that believe that in Acts chapter 2 is when they received the Holy Spirit and they were indwelt by the Spirit, They say that this is symbolic. I don't understand how they can say that it's symbolic. I don't even know what it's symbolizing. But he breathed on them. There's something he did. He actually breathed on them, which obviously breath and wind and so forth is a symbol of the Spirit. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If they weren't indwelt by the Spirit right then, how how did they receive the Spirit? What way they would have received the Spirit in a way that's completely different than anyone else has received the Spirit. But he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So I believe that's what Jesus was referring to when he said, he is with you and, and soon he will be in you. Because after he rose from the dead, that's when he did this. One of the first things he did when he rose from the dead after that is he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. That's when they were regenerated. Now go back to Acts chapter 1. In verse 8, in chapter 1, we have the third preposition which describes our potential relationship with the Holy Spirit. The word upon. Notice in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now what you'll see through the whole book of Acts is that that preposition being very consistent, being associated with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You'll never see the N word again related to the Holy Spirit and, and people. That, that I'm aware of. Maybe you can show me and I'll be glad to change on that. But I don't remember any time where uh, we're talking about the baptism with the Spirit or the Spirit and being involved with someone and it doesn't, it not using the word upon there. It's the word epi uh, in, in Greek. It's a word upon. And it's very consistent. So I believe when Jesus here is speaking, is receiving power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them, He's speaking of this baptism with the Spirit. So they had the Spirit with them before they came to know Him. They had the Spirit come inside of them. In John chapter 20, when He breathed on them, they were indwelt by the Spirit. That's when they were born again, but He still told them to wait. Now, in fairness to our brothers and sisters, they say, well, they were told to wait because of the day of Pentecost when He was going to birth the church. When that feast of Pentecost was occurring, when all the people from all, all the Jews from all these different nations were there, that was a perfect time for Peter to stand up and preach the gospel. Now, that's true. 
That is true that, that, that God timed it that way, but that doesn't mean that he still wasn't working in the disciples' lives accordingly related to being baptized with the Holy Spirit because he didn't have to have them indwelt with the Spirit in John chapter 20. He could have had them indwelt with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 um, and not merely just come upon them. John did say, John the Baptist did say in, in Mark chapter 1 verse 8, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so again, when you're baptized with the Spirit, he comes upon you. That happened in the Old Testament, where kings and prophets and priests had the Spirit come upon them and empower them. doesn't mean that they were indwelt by the Spirit, but they were empowered. It's not unique to the New Testament. But it, it, it came in such, the ministry, the baptism with the Spirit, I'm not saying that the Old Testament saints were baptized with the Spirit. I'm saying that the Spirit at times came upon them and empowered them for service. This is unique to the New Testament in terms of the baptism. Baptism just means immersion. Baptizmo in Greek just means to immerse. And the Catholic Church transliterated that because they didn't want it to be immersion. They wanted it to be sprinkling. So they just took the Greek word and made it into a kind of like an English word or a Latin word and they have poured, poured a new meaning into it. But baptized means to immerse. By definition, it means to immerse. So he, he's saying here that I'm going to give you power. I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. But it's technically, I mean, really not about how much of the Spirit you have. It's about how much of you does the Holy Spirit have. It's talking about submission and humbling yourself before him. And asking him to come upon you and empower you for service. It's confessing any known sins to God and repenting and coming before him and saying, God, empower me to be the person you've called me to be. I surrender everything to you. And, and that is a very real, <laughs> very, very real experience. Now, let's look at when it, what, it, what it looked like when it happened to them. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. I want to show you that this preposition upon is consistent throughout the book of Acts. It's talking about when the Holy Spirit had fully come and they were waiting there in the upper room and they were praying and so forth. And verse 3 says, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat, notice the next word, upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So notice that the baptism with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit are the same things. Do you see that? He came upon them. It was the fulfillment of the promise, being baptized with the Spirit that Jesus spoke about in John, or, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, in not many days from now, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he's talking about the baptism with the Spirit. But when it happened in verse 4, it says, and they were all filled with the Spirit. They're synonymous. Okay, so the first time that you are filled with the Spirit is referred to as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And it says that they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there was a purpose for them speaking in other tongues because there are people from all over the world, Jews, that knew all these different languages. And when you read the account, you see that they say that we hear them praising and worshiping God in our own language. And it was, it was a miracle. It was a unique way that he had them express that gift of tongues that they received. But this isn't the only time that the Spirit comes upon people that are already born again. And I want you to see that. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. 
context of this is when Philip, one of the deacons, was called to go to Samaria. And he was called to preach the gospel there. And he did that. And many, many believed. Verse 12 of chapter 8 says, But when they believed, Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. Simon the sorcerer. And when he had baptized, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs that were done. Where do we see that today? Again, a supernatural church needs to be seen. Verse 14, now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Like, what's going on? We have a deacon going crazy up there in Samaria. We are like, what's going on? Not really crazy, but you know, like, he's like, wow, I mean, God's really using him and we want to see what's going on. Verse 15, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had... He had fallen upon, there's our word, upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a phrase here, receive the Holy Spirit, that, they, that is synonymous with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Because they did not believe that the Holy Spirit was being withheld from them at salvation. They knew that, they, that obviously when, when someone receives Christ, the Spirit comes inside of them. We see that they're baptized in the passage. We see in verse 16, for they had yet, for as yet he, the Spirit, had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's water baptism he's talking about. No, no, Philip would not have baptized them in water if they hadn't been saved. And he knows that when they receive Christ, they get the Holy Spirit indwelling them. The, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells the believer. Then they're water baptized. So they're already Christians here. No, and Philip wouldn't have baptized them if they weren't Christians. They're already believers. So it's impossible that you can have the baptism with the Spirit, the upon experience happen at the time of salvation every single time because it didn't happen with the original disciples, as we've seen. And secondly, it doesn't happen with these disciples that are in the book of Acts in, in chapter 8. They had been water baptized already. They had already been water baptized. They were already believers but they hadn't received the Spirit in the sense of being baptized with the Spirit. He had not come upon them. Now, the people, our brothers and sisters that have a different view of this, say that for some reason, they don't know why, but God wasn't indwelling believers right away when they received Christ. And so they had to have the disciples come, and the, the apostles had the power, unique to them at that time, to, to lay hands on people, and they would be indwelt with the Spirit. Now, that's just doing mental gymnastics, in my view. It's just really hard for me to accept that that they had the special power to indwell people with the Spirit. I do want to mention that something did happen outwardly that's so impressive that Simon the sorcerer, who was very used to supernatural things, albeit being demonic things, was so impressed that he was willing to offer money. Something outwardly happened for him to see that. Now, the, our Pentecostal brothers would say this, they were speaking in tongues, but that's arguing from silence. It does not say they spoke in tongues. And, and Luke could have mentioned that very easily if he wanted to. He mentioned it in other places. But so something physical happened, something, or at least outwardly, where they, someone could see. I don't know what they were doing. I have no idea. But it's something that was very powerful, that someone could be impressed with, that was very familiar with supernatural things. So that's very important for us to note. 
Now, this can happen at salvation as well. I want us to turn over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Now, we're going to be looking at a little bit at the account of uh, Cornelius receiving Christ in his house there. The backstory is that an angel appeared to Cornelius and spoke to him and told him to send for Peter, who was in Joppa about a day and a half, two days south of where he was in Caesarea. And God appeared to Peter, in a, in a, and he was kind of in a trance. He was waiting to eat. He was on the roof there. Uh, and um, God appeared to him in a vision and basically communicated to him to go with these men that were there from Cornelius' house. So he did that, and he went up to Cornelius' house, and he was a Gentile. He was a proselyte, or not a proselyte, he was a God-fearer. He hadn't gone so far as becoming circumcised and all of that. He was a, he was a centurion. He had great authority in the Roman ar- uh, army and so forth. Um, he couldn't go as far as being circumcised and all that, but he was a God-fearer. He, had, he offered alms to God. God accepted those alms, which is interesting because he's accepting alms from an unbeliever, which messes with our theology, but that's what it says. He, he, he at least accepted it to the, in the sense of bringing him salvation because that's what God's working towards uh, in our lives before we come to know Christ. And so here Peter is preaching the gospel and so forth. And then we read in verse 44 of chapter 10, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell, what's the next word? Upon, there's our preposition, upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been, get, had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So God gave them the gift of tongues outwardly to show Peter and the other leaders that God had accepted the the Gentiles. That is true. But that doesn't mean that God still didn't uh, indwell them and fill them at the same time at salvation. So that can happen. That actually happened to me. Many of you know my story, but I was in a church and I was there because of a girl. (laughs) I was there because of hormones. That's why I was in a church hearing the gospel Actually, I didn't hear the gospel. I didn't even hear the gospel at this church. They preached it and so forth, but at that day, I wasn't listening to the gospel. God was, by the Spirit, bringing the gospel that my sisters preached to me back to my heart, communicating to me that I was a sinner and that my life was not on, on, you know, I wasn't on my way to heaven and my life had no purpose. By the Spirit, directly speaking to my heart, and we were holding hands across the aisles. We were praying for something. I didn't want to hold anyone's hand, especially a guy's hand, but I was forced to. I didn't mind holding her hand. Sorry, honey, it wasn't you, but, um, you know, I, I'm just being honest, it wasn't my wife, it was someone else. So I was holding her hand, holding this guy's hand, this big, sweaty, hairy hand that I hated, and I just said, God, I surrender my life to you, I give you my whole life, take my life and make it what you want it to be. Boom! He came upon me. I've never felt anything like that before since I've known the Lord. And I began to speak in tongues. I didn't know what that was. I'd never heard of that before in a spiritual context i could not pray right it was coming out weird and was trying my hardest to not yell it out that really happened to me so i had this and i had to, when i read cornelius i was like hey all right cornelius me and him we're you know kind of the same or we have something in common i can't wait to ask him about how that was to see if it you know was similar to what i experienced and so forth i was glad that my experience lined up with scripture that was a very big relief i was i was hoping i didn't read 
that it's impossible that you cannot receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit at the same time salvation because that would have been problematic for my for me enough about my issue so we see here in Acts 10 that God can and does at times fill someone with the spirit at the same time uh, at salvation later Peter kind of being called on the carpet so to speak by the by the Jews and so forth in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11 verse 15 why don't you turn over there real quick in Acts chapter 11 because we see more of our preposition when he's recounting what happened and explaining why these Gentiles he's having to explain to them why the Gentiles were saved is explaining to them and he said in verse 15 look at Acts eleven fifteen. and as I began to speak the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning so twice he uses the word upon there and I love the fact when God interrupts a preacher and just works when they don't even have a chance to say anything isn't that encouraging it's so encouraging he didn't even wait for Peter to finish or even begin really Peter was just getting started. He's like, I'm not waiting for that. These people have a faith, and they're exercising faith in me. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon them. I'm going to put my spirit inside of them, and I'm going to fill them with the spirit and, and, and give the gift of tongues to, to them. He doesn't even wait for Peter to, to really get going. I think that's awesome. Now turn over to Acts chapter 19. Beginning in verse 1, Acts 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos, Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came, there's our word again, upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. Now, for Paul to ask the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Unless there's a separate work that exists related to the baptism with the Spirit, that's an invalid question. Because when you believe, you get the Holy Spirit. He dwells you at salvation. When you put your faith in Christ, he comes inside of you. Paul taught that. He knew that. So obviously he's not talking about anything other than um, receiving the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Then he laid hands on them and the Spirit came upon them. It wasn't at the time that they received Christ. He had already baptized them. Notice in verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they believed. They were water baptized. So obviously they have the in experience. They've experienced the indwelling of the Spirit at salvation. They were water baptized. But that doesn't stop Paul from doing something else. And here he did. Here, here he goes in verse 6. He laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them. So how do you receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Well, if you're honest with the book of Acts, you'll see that 
leadership initiated virtually all the times where someone was baptized with the Spirit. Am I wrong? About almost every time leadership asks, initiates, it brings up the subject and lays hands on or invites or, or something along those lines. Uh, the Lord Jesus initiated with the disciples, told them to wait. And they prayed. I know they did pray you know, in the upper room there. They did pray for many things, I'm sure. But one of the things they prayed was the promise that Jesus made to them. And you know, I'm sure this, the prayer sounded something like, you know, Lord, you promised to give us the promise of the Spirit. We ask for that promise to be given to us. I mean, I don't know what they prayed, but I know that they were praying for that to be fulfilled. So I think the two examples that we see in the book of Acts is asking and leadership initiating it, laying hands on, on those that don't have that yet, and, and that experience occurring. So that's what we see. So what's the biblical basis? We've seen it for leadership initiating it, laying hands on on people in the book of Acts, but what's the biblical basis for asking? Turn over to Luke chapter 11. Now, Jesus is speaking, the context is that he's really getting into God's approachability, that God is approachable. He's been talking about the Lord's Prayer and so forth in parallel passages as well. He's talking about the Lord's Prayer approaching God. And then he gets to um, verse 11 in Luke 11. And he says, if a son asks for bread from, from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So let's look at the context here, is how, how approachable God is in prayer. You're talking about the Jewish mind here. Jesus knows that the ultimate gift would be the Holy Spirit to the Jewish mind. He know, they knew that only a select few had the Spirit uh, in the Old Testament, that God would come upon them in a, in a very specific way. So the Lord Jesus is going to the ultimate thing for the Jewish mind to receive, that, that God would actually want to give them the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, you're evil, and I love his clarity, don't you? You being evil know how to give good gifts to your, heaven, you know, to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? The ultimate, the ultimate gift. Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Now people say that this is talking about salvation, but the problem I see with that, I'm sure it includes that, obviously, because when we're approaching God and He gives us salvation, He gives us the Holy Spirit, obviously. But when we're at the moment of salvation, we're not asking for the Holy Spirit. We're asking for forgiveness. We're asking God to forgive us, to forgive us of our sins. That's what we're asking for. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. That is true. But I believe that this is also, in addition to that, asking for a further indwell, or not indwelling, but a further uh, relationship or, or him pouring out his spirit upon us in a way that um, is, is a, um, a deeper experience than what we've had before. Because there's no limitations to how deep we can go in the Lord, in our relationship with Him. We're going to get into, Lord willing, next week, 
re- the refilling of the Spirit. Because we, we, we're leaky vessels. <laughs> we, we, God loves refills. He loves to refill us. We're going to look at that. So there is a place for that, obviously. And we're told to, to be filled with the Spirit continuously. So here, here God is saying, seek me. I'm a loving Father. I'm approachable. If you know, to have, know how to give good gifts to your children, then I'm going to give... Where do you think you get that from? You get that from me. You get that kind of love from me. And I will give you the ultimate. I will give you as much as the Holy Spirit as you can handle. So there's not one cookie-cutter way where people receive that baptism of the Spirit. And I love that about God. He's not predictable. There's not some formula there. Churches have made formulas about this. You need to speak in tongues, or you need to, you know, look, do something like this, or you need to levitate. I don't know what, how all the different things that are out there or whatever, but um, you need to have leadership lay hands on you. Or, you, you know, there's, there's all these different things. We see that sometimes leadership initiates it and brings it up and says, hey, have you received the baptism with the Spirit? Then, and then we see other times where people are praying, like the disciples, they're praying, and God baptizes them with the Spirit. We see Jesus say, you can ask for as much of the Holy Spirit as you could ever want here. I've heard of stories of people mowing their lawn and then being baptized with the Spirit. I've heard stories of people getting alone with God in their, in their room, and God brings them all these things that they've been holding back, and they've been praying for this for a while. And, and, and they're holding back or they're not confessing certain sins or whatever and they finally surrender everything to the Lord and all of a sudden they're baptized with the Holy Spirit there. Some of them get the gift of tongues. Some of them start prophesying. I mean, I've heard of all different kinds of things. The evidence of being baptized with the Spirit is power. So how do you know if you've been baptized with the Spirit? Have you experienced the power to be a witness to Him? Have, you, have other people sensed that power coming forth from your life? to be a witness to him, to have your life line up with the Lord and his word and so forth, where they see that, okay, this person is, um, you know, they have, there's power in their life to, to, to say that Jesus is real and Jesus is the Savior and he rose from the dead and so forth. Is there that power? Because Jesus said it's for power to be a witness to him. He didn't say it's for any other thing, to draw attention to myself, to bring people, draw people to me or to look good or to whatever, to say that I've experienced this versus you haven't experienced this thing. He says it's for power. So that's why we need to continuously be refilled as we'll get into next week because we need that power all the time. But if it, and then also it could happen at salvation. Maybe at salvation you experienced such a strong power to be a witness for Christ and immediately you started sharing your faith and immediately you started uh, really God using you to make a difference in this world for him you likely were baptized with the Spirit at the moment of salvation. I don't know what your personal experience is. One thing I like, though, is that God doesn't care about your theology. He'll still baptize you with the Spirit after salvation, even if you don't believe it. And if it didn't happen to you at salvation, he'll still do it. There's people that deny it all the time, but their lives are full of power to be a witness to Christ. Are you telling me Billy Graham hasn't been baptized with the Spirit just because he doesn't speak in tongues? Are you crazy? He has the power to be a witness. I mean, I could go down a whole long list of people that say that when, because they just happen to have been raised up in a church where when you get saved, you get all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. But they're so dependent upon the Lord. He's filled them with the Spirit. They don't even know it. And God is using them powerfully. He's so beyond our theology. 
He'll do it, regardless of what we're... We, we, now, obviously, we want to have good theology and biblical theology and so forth, and the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and so forth, but we need to go as deep as we can possibly can to the things of him. And so today, if you're here and you don't have that power, and you're like, I don't know, I've never really sensed a power to be a witness to him, that boldness isn't there, um, like I know it should be, then, then there's no harm. It doesn't matter if you've already been baptized with the Spirit or not. The fact is, he will come upon you as you seek him. It may not happen exactly how you may expect, but it will happen. He, he, these are gifts. He, we saw Peter refer to it as a gift. You don't earn a gift. You don't I have to spend 10 hours at the altar and proving that I'm serious and sincere and I have to earn this and then God will do it. No, that's not biblical. It's a gift. But he gets to decide when he gives the gift. That's up to him. him. Yes, he does give it. It is a free thing, but he can wait to give that gift when he's ready to give that gift. And maybe there's some things that he reveals in your heart that need to happen before he's going to pour out his spirit upon your life. I don't know. Maybe not. But I just know that he's called all of us to seek him And he will come upon us and empower us. He wants us to be good witnesses to him. It's all there for the asking. He just calls us to seek him. So let's pray together. Father, I just pray, Father, that every one of us here, that you would pour out your spirit upon us and come upon us right now. And I pray, Father, if you want to give any of your spiritual gifts to any of us, that we would be open to it. I pray you'd manifest your gifts in our lives. And I pray you come upon us by your spirit, God, and you would fill us to overflowing where we would have rivers of living water coming out of our lives. That's what you envision for every believer. We pray for the body of Christ that we would be a powerful church, completely dependent upon you and having your gifts be manifested through our lives and that signs and wonders would follow us preaching the gospel, Lord. In this world, we recognize, Father, needs you so badly. And you desire to use spiritual empowerment to manifest yourself in the midst of our, the situations in which we find ourselves where we're preaching your gospel, Lord. We pray that the supernatural will be represented, Lord, through our lives, God. And I pray you'd pour out your spirit powerfully in the lives of your children now. In Jesus' name, amen.